So today I want to talk about um, radical consecration. Ooh, that's new. Yeah, watch, I'll unpack that for us. Um, but to, to unpack this, we're going to look at Psalm 76. This was a psalm I've been praying through, meditating on this morning. And um, I'm just going to read the first few verses. And it says, God is made known in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. He set up his tent in Jerusalem and his dwelling place in Zion. It is there he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, the armour. You, Lord, are resplendent, more majestic than the everlasting mountains. The warriors despoiled, slept in death. The hands of the soldiers were powerless at your threat, O God of Jacob. Horse and rider lay stunned. God is made known in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. This is what I love about this opening passage. God is made known. He's revealed. He is uh, manifest to the people of Judah. God generally, although God reveals himself through creation things, but God is specifically known through his kingdom people. And that's why kingdom people matter, because we're the only people that really know God. We're the only people in all the world that know God and have a revelation of God and can bring that revealing of God to the nations, because no one else can do it. I mean, the trees and the stars and all creation, according to the Psalms and according to Romans 1, they are revealing visibly the invisible attributes of God, but that they don't tell forth necessarily how to come to know God. They don't tell you necessarily, you know, how to grow intimate with Christ or or why Jesus went to the cross. They won't tell you those things. Maybe they do, but I I haven't noticed. But um, maybe they are. I don't want to say they don't when they are, but I'm like, I can't see that. But the only people that can tell that message is you. You are the only people on the whole of planet Earth. You know, God is made known in Judah. God is made known through his church. God is made known through his people. God is made known through Christians. Hallelujah. And I just, I just love to think about that and meditate on that. God is made known through us. In all of our weirdness, imperfections, or our cleverness, or all our foibles and weaknesses and odd things that we do, somehow God wants to use us to manifest himself and make himself known. God is made known in Judah. And in Israel, his name is great. In God's church, his name should be great. His name should be um, high, lofty, exalted. And we know as we've looked in history and we look at even, even Christianity across the world today, or more so probably in the Western world and, and in other parts of the world. But we, anyone with half a brain can see that Christianity is kind of in crisis right now. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it really is. Christianity is in a state of crisis. And I was preaching, I think last week or the week before, talking about how God wants to bring his glory back to his church. But with that, there comes a price. There's a cost. You know, when you have the Ark of the Covenant in your front room, like as I said the other week, it, it, knowing that you've got literally the presence of God in your front room like that would change your lives. Change what you watch, right? <laughs> change what you listen to. Change how you talk to your wife and your wife, your husband. It would change a lot of things. And God wants to bring his presence back to the church again. 
And he wants his name to be great in his church again. And God is coming back to his church again. And God is going to tabernacle with his people again. Now, when I first got born again, um, it was probably in the late 90s. And I just caught the last two years of the charismatic renewal. Has anyone been through that? Did anyone live through it? Yeah? I mean, some of you might be old enough, but you never actually experienced it. But I, I was, this was, this was an Anglican church, and, and it was just the last two years of what was left of this charismatic renewal, and it was powerful. It was powerful. I mean, you just go up to someone, and uh, you were there, you remember. So you just go up to someone, and, and you pray for someone. And you, I mean, I had no idea. I was just a new Christian. So I was going to pray for this person because the pastor said, Vicar said, okay, can you pray for someone? So I prayed for them. And they just fell under the power of God, and then immediately started speaking in tongues. I was like, what's going on? It was just things started happening all of the time. Even my testimony, how I went from witchcraft to Christ. There were so many wonderful things going on at the time. People getting healed and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But then I noticed over those two years, it was diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. And then since then, it has not been back in the church. Now, I've been around the world and I've been in places where pockets of God's power has been manifest. Now, some of you might think, well, I don't believe in that theology, Chris. I think we can have revival every day of our lives. Well, yes, you can to a certain degree. But I'm talking about the manifest presence of God in his people corporate, not just on an individual. And, and I have seen that and I've witnessed it and I have not seen it and witnessed it in the church for probably, I would say, the last 20, 25 years. But God is coming back to his house. It says here in the, in the next verse, it says, he set up his tent in, or his tabernacle in Jerusalem and his dwelling place in Zion. Now, when this psalm was written, he's talking about the tabernacle of David. I don't know if anyone knows what the tabernacle of David is. You had the tabernacle of Moses. We all know about that one that was in the wilderness. But the tabernacle of David was a specific thing that happened only for what? For a period of only, but a period of time only. So you had the tabernacle of Moses, which was down the road, but the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in it. And uh, this time it was in Obed-Edom's house. So they took the Ark from Obed-Edom's house and they brought it up to Jerusalem. And they put it on top of Mount Zion and they put this like tent around it. And basically the priests were commissioned to praise and worship God 24 hours a day. 24-7. And if you read First Chronicles, it lists all the people and when they were to do their bits and the people that guarded the gates and all this kind of stuff and how they were to praise the Lord 24-7. And, and that happened for around about, they reckon, 40, between 30 to 40 years. That was the presence of God. I mean, you weren't allowed to see the Ark of the Covenant. It was forbidden. And yet there it was on Mount Zion for everybody to see. It was the manifest presence and the glory of God amongst the people of God. And God wants to bring his presence back into his church again. God is coming. You see, the seasons are already changing. You can see. You don't need to be a prophet to see that things are radically shifting now in the world. Everything is beginning to shift. But God's doing some exciting things in this nation as well. You can see the shifting seasons are already happening to bring us into where I believe God is bringing his church. But the thing that I want to really say is that the glory of God in his church is uncomfortable. It's not nice sometimes. I've read, I've read, I've made it my business a long time ago to study revival history. I thought, well, 
how can you, I was, my, my point at the time was, there's a lot of messing, a lot of messy stuff in revivals. So I thought, well, if I study loads of church revivals, I'll be able to figure out that which is of God and that which is of the flesh and that which is of the devil. Okay. So I thought, so I studied 700 years of revival history. And guess what? I come out more confused than I went in. But I did see some wonderful things. And I did see a consistency of God in each of those revivals. And one of the key consistent things of those revivals is holiness. But this isn't holiness like thou shalt not and thou shalt not eat and thou shalt not touch. This, this is something way beyond that. This is something where you are so compelled by the presence of God that these minute little things that, that you don't think are an issue or a problem start popping up in your life. And you have this mirror that's placed right in front of you called the mirror of self. And no matter where you go, you can't avoid it. And it will look back at you and it will show you all of your failures and all of your faults. And you go, but my God's a good God and he's a loving God. Yes, but he doesn't want you to stay the way you are either. He wants to challenge us and say that you have attitudes that are not godly. You have um, preconceived ideas about me that are not correct. There are things that you do that aren't right. There are things within you that have bound you and held you locked up in sin and you're not even aware of it. And God has come to set his people free. Holiness is uncomfortable. You see, this isn't about like, so for example, back again, I did all this back in the early days. You, you kind of, well, I'm going to make myself holy. If I, if I want to experience revival like that, what I need to do is make myself holy so I can be in that place of revival. It's like, that's stupid. It doesn't work like that. It's like, I remember I was being in a church once and they said, um, because there was a revival going on in Argentina and they developed this thing called cell groups, they said, well, if we have cell groups, then we too can have revival. It's like, no, cell groups were a byproduct out of a revival. You don't do cell groups to get revival. You see what I'm saying? We do things all back to front. Well, if I do this and jump through that hoop and do this and do that and do what brother so-and-so did, then I can have the glory of God and the holiness of God. It doesn't work like that. I remember years ago, I got rid of all my record collection. All right, me and my friend, we like burnt all our albums. So don't get me wrong, there were some albums that deserved to be burnt, so I'm okay with that. But there was stuff we burnt, and for the next five years, me and my friend were miserable. Because back in the early 90s, Christian music was rubbish. I'm sorry, but it was awful, all right? Some of you oldies here be like, I thought it was okay. But for me as a young guy, it really wasn't. It was awful, okay? It was all like, shine, Jesus, shine. That was it, you know? Oh, great, vinyl or CD, mm. okay? And so we were miserable. And then eventually we, got, we started buying some music again. It was like, oh, we can listen to some music. But the point was, is that we tried to do something in our own flesh. Yeah. See, when God says do something, then that's when you do it. Don't do it because brother so-and-so did it, so you can be holy like them. Or you can have the anointing like them. If you do this and do this and send off 999, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> some of you have already done it. Okay, so. <laughs> Come on, hands up who's done it. Yeah, yeah, we've all done it. No, I haven't. Okay, he's like, he set up his tent in Jerusalem and his dwelling place in Zion. God wants to set up his place, his dwelling place back in his church again. But you see, God is calling for his church in these days to come back to the place of radical consecration. Now, not everybody wants to do radical consecration. And this is, this is something you're going to have to, all of us, we have to be honest with ourselves. And this is not to make you feel condemned, because Jesus knows where we're at. 
But you see, God is going to move in such a way that, I remember I've said this before, but maybe today we'll just illustrate it a bit better. This dream when when the outpouring of God's spirit happens, um, I remember this being rain and it was just pouring everywhere. And it started by people being ankle deep in this water. And they, they started getting free of addiction to cigarettes and various things like that. You know, they were the first things that, were, that people were being set free of. And they were really happy Christians because they were walking in a degree of freedom they'd never walked in before. And then there was, as you move further down, there were Christians who were up to their knees in this move of God. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then there were other Christians who were up to their waist. And there were other Christians that were into their neck, up to their neck. But did you know what the Spirit was really wanting, and only a few people dared do it? Was to be drowned, crucified to self, in the sea of the depths of God. To crucify yourself, where all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, everything that you are is nailed to the cross. And that your life is so surrendered to God. That when people see you, they don't see you, they see Christ in you. Because your life is so surrendered to him. As the psalmist say, deep calls to deep. And this is the clarion call of the church in this day. Not many will want to walk this path because it is a hard path. It is not about theological correctness. Although good doctrine is important, I'm not denying that. This is about an intimacy, a relationship with God that transcends just simple, I've got all my tick box right because I do this doctrine and I do this and I observe that and I do that. This goes way beyond that. This is about knowing God in a wonderful way where you are completely crucified and yielded to his will. The question might be, well, what does that look like? Has there ever been anybody that's lived like that? Yes, there have. When I studied my church history and looking at church history from the AD, from AD 400 up to around about 600 years ago, there have been people throughout history that have moved in that lifestyle. And they are probably, for me, the most influential people in my life. I'll be not being funny, but there's, there's no one really alive that really, I find, inspires me. And that sounds really arrogant. I don't mean it in an arrogant way. People like Billy Graham, obviously, but they're dead now. But... The people that really inspire me are the saints, people that have long dead and long gone. People that really pushed the barrier. People that pushed the envelope. People that were just radical for Jesus in the most amazing of ways. These people were so uh, enclosed in Christ that even when kings and leaders came into their presence, I mean, these people were nobodies. When people came into their presence, it changed them. It transformed their lives. It made them into a people that were pious and pure and wanted to live, give their lives back to God and serve him. It just changed them. And God is calling us. Now, please, God is a pastoral God. So last week I was talking about how God is there for us and he's tender and kind and, and there to help us when we're lowly and we're broken down. But also at the same time, there's this other side. You see, this is not about trying to push you to do something that you don't want to do. You see, what, what we need to understand is this. Jesus loves us beyond anything that we can even begin to imagine. 
And sometimes his heart breaks that he wishes his church would love him even just as half as much back. It's not that this sermon's about do this or do that. This is nothing like that. This is an invitation, an invitation of Christ to his people saying, do you want to come deeper? Do you want to know me? Do you want to put aside the things in your life that seem important to you but but really aren't? And come on an adventure with me. The last two weeks, everyone knows I like to play with my synthesizers and stuff like that. But you know, for the last two weeks, God has been saying to me, it's time to put those things away now. I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, no one else does. But I really like them. (laughs) He didn't say that. I was like, but but, but I like them. But interestingly, God has changed my heart. And he's changed my heart because he wants me to use that time where I'm playing around to give more time to him in prayer. And that's what God is looking for. You see, in this time that we're coming into, God is looking for a people that are more devoted to him. And if you don't, it's not that you're not good enough. It's not about that. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to know God more, to be closer to him, to actually hear his heartbeat. I love it. John used to rest his head against Jesus. He heard the heartbeat of God. And Jesus is asking his church, do you want to come and hear my heartbeat? Are you going to spend that time in prayer with me? Are you going to spend that time cultivating that relationship with me and developing that intimacy with me? You see, we, we're quite immature when it comes to prayer. We're not very good at it if we're honest with ourselves. One of the things that, and this is one of my own complaints in the past, was you get those dry spots. Anyone have a dry spell in prayer? Yeah, Yeah, we've all had them. But you see, what we normally do is we get discouraged by those things. We don't realise it's an invitation to persevere and to go from one degree of maturity to another. You see, because what we're doing is we're trusting in the senses. But Jesus wants us to come out of the flesh in the realm of prayer and more into the realm of the soul and then eventually into the realm of the spirit. And then you will have encounters with God that aren't goosebumpy, like, oh, I feel it in my body. But it's something deep within that is beyond fleshly tangibility. That is spirit meets spirit. So if you're hitting a dry patch in your prayer life right now, I want to encourage you. All, I mean, I've read books by the greatest masters of prayer throughout history, and they've all said the same thing. When you hit these moments, these are times to rejoice. Because in your dryness, if you are faithful to the one who is faithful, and you pursue your lover, even though it might seem that he is not interested, and you just keep on and keeping on, you will break through into something beautiful in God. And it's an opportunity. It's not like, Jesus, I'm feeling so dry. I'm not feeling anything. Feel, feel, feely, 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 feeling. It's Jesus saying, come on, guys. Let's mature a little bit. Let's get beyond the realm of feelings. And let's move into something much more deeper, a much more real, a much more, how can I say it? Beautiful. That's a good word. Oh, beautiful. And even more tangible than what the flesh can perceive. 
God wants to come back to his church. He's coming back in power. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've... Has anyone ever here been in like a revival meeting where, where God is really moving powerfully? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah, we've all, we've all, probably a lot of us have seen it. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but sometimes I've been at these revival meetings and yet I'm seeing God move powerfully and I'm in the midst of these wonderful things and, and, and it's so great to be there and the presence of God is there. It's tangible. Yet inside I feel... Ugh. Hollow. And you think, maybe I need to go to more of these revival meetings to fill up that hollowness inside me. But every time I went, I still felt hollow. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Because those things, as important and needed as they are, they're external. What it was showing me was my deficit within my own walk with God. We were so obsessed with getting, experiencing the presence of God on the outside... I hadn't taken the time to build the relationship and the intimacy on the inside. It's all very well being in Christ Jesus, but the Bible also says Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not one or the other, it's both. And we need to develop that and to develop that intimacy. And now, is anyone here in a relationship with somebody? Okay, I don't know if you've noticed, but it kind of takes time. Well, your mother, you've got kids. Yeah, so, you, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're single or not. If you've got family members or friends, you know, we've all, ha- we've all got a relationship with somebody. But if you want a good relationship with someone, how, how does it work? Do you see them once a year? No. Okay. It's, it's all very common sense. It's like, this is a really simple sermon, Chris. Okay. If we want to get close to someone, whether they like it or not, you've got to spend time with them. Yeah, I'm one of those people. If I want to get to know you and you don't want to get to know me, I'll be knocking on your door anyway. Hello, it's me again. All right. So, because I want to get to know you. Okay. And that's, that's how God is. He wants to get to know. I love that, that picture. You know, that I've got it hung up in my uh, prayer room. It's the picture of Jesus with the lamp knocking on the door. You know, we always use that as a great evangelistic sermon. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Give your life to Jesus. But that's great. It's a great parallel. But actually, it's Jesus. It's a letter to the church. It's Jesus. Hi, guys. Having a great time in there. Can I come in? All right. Jesus is like, can I come in? Can I please come in to my church? Can I come in? And as Jesus is like, can I come into you? Can I come into your life? Now, when I said I, I gave up, you know, I've put, put aside all my synthesizers and stuff like that, which may mean nothing to you, but to me it's just, you know, it's whatever. That doesn't mean you have now got to give up your hobbies. Because I've told you that sometimes you can do what you think is the right thing and make yourself as miserable as sin. You've got to do what God is requiring of you. You know, for some of you, it might be, hey, guys, can you just, can you just, you know, get up maybe 10 minutes earlier in the morning just so you can spend a bit more time with me? That could all be what God asks of you. Or it could be for someone else. It's like you're hanging around a lot with these people lately. That's probably not really good that you should be hanging around with them so much. Can you spend a little? It could be anything. Do you you see what I'm saying? Don't make this into a tradition or a religious thing. It's a living, breathing, active thing. And you see, we have an opportunity in the days in which we're coming into. See, God is going to bring holiness to the church, but the scriptures say judgment starts first with the house of the Lord. Doesn't it? It's from Hebrews. Judgment starts first with the house of the Lord. Now, we don't have to fear judgment like an unbeliever does. The judgment we receive is different from a judgment to an unbeliever because that's why it says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You can still be chastised by God because God 
chastises those whom he loves. Okay? So if God chastises you, it's not because he's trying to give you a hard time. It's because he, lo- he loves you and he wants you to, you know, maybe grow up a little bit and get a bit mature in your walk with God. When God does these things, he's not cruel and mean and vindictive. He's always got your best at his heart. He is a good, good father. Now, as I've shared before in, in, this, in this move that's coming, the first thing God is going to do is purge his church and he's going to burn up all the dross and all the nonsense and all the ministries that are built up in the name of man that aren't truly founded on Christ. They're, all, they're going to be the first to go. I've seen it. And it's, it's frightening. It's scary. And the church which remains, his fire will come down onto that church and will consume it. And then I saw the fire raise off and I saw a beautiful, purified church. What do you want to be? Do you want to be one of those beach huts I saw <laughs> that just went boom and got vaporized as God came in and just swept those things away? Or do you want to be in the house of the Lord where, yes, fire came and purged us, but what remained was glorious. The, the walls, I saw the walls, they were just full of diamonds and treasures and semi-precious stones. The whole room was made of it. It was glorious and they all shined and sparkled and gleamed. And this was God's holy church. It wasn't a little gemstone over here. I am the church. I am the church. Okay, none of that nonsense. It was all together. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Because that's another thing. Where we're going, there's no room for mavericks and for solo artists. We are going forward as a body. If you don't like it, I've got, I don't know what you can do about that. I'd say get over it, I don't know, but if you don't like it, I don't know what you're going to do, but that's how it's going to be. Because that's how it was always. God established his church on the earth. The church is the body of Christ. Paul makes it very clear. A finger isn't an ear. It's not about you being all on your own and and all this kind of stuff. It's about us being together, working together, being a body, manifesting the presence of God on the earth, being that wall at this, this building that was made of all these individual gemstones. Everybody here, God wants to make you into an individual gemstone, not just dirty and gnarly, but purified, beautiful, spotless, shining, hallelujah, glorious, and a people that know their God. Hallelujah. Jesus said, I'll close with this, John 17, 3 says, eternal life is knowing God and so I want to end with that this is the invitation of the spirit in the days which we're coming into don't get focused on secondary issues we can make secondary issues the primary issues get back to what it's about get back to your first love get back to your first love and love him like you used to love him Let's come back to Jesus and let's get to know our Jesus. Amen.